What's up, y'all? It's me, me, it's the ABC. Coming at you live from my studio in Kent, Washington. Washington. Now, before we get started, let's see. Let's make a couple adjustments here. Let's see. I'm going to pull this down. I can't get any feedback in my headphones. Okay, that sounds good. Now, first of all, before I get started, the call-in number. Wait, hang on. Oh, that's something going on there. Okay, that's good. Perfect. All right. Yeah, before we get started, the call-in number is 563-999-3596. 563-999-3596. Call in and talk to ABC. You know... I need to start this show. I usually don't do this, but I need to start this show with an I told you so. I told you so. Now, I didn't put it on a blog talk radio because, honestly, like last year I wasn't on blog talk radio. I haven't been on, I haven't been on blog talk radio since, eh, since I was back in California. Then I just recently came back to blog talk radio, but I got I to put out this I told you so because if you follow me on Facebook, and if you follow me some amount of time, you know that last year, when I when the whole um, when the whole special counsel thing was going on, and they hired a special investigator to look into the whole Joe Biden Hunter Biden deal thing. What I put out on Facebook, I said, look, that's a spoiler alert. Exactly what I said. You can go back actually on my profile and see it. I left it up there last year. And I said, spoiler alert, Joe Biden, the DOJ is going to surgically remove Joe Biden from the Hunter Biden laptop thing. Then they're going to charge Hunter Biden with lesser crimes, allowing the both to go scot-free. I said that. I predicted that. And it came to pass. I told you my power, of course, I put out on Facebook recently. I said, it's clear I got nothing on me when I posted that story. Because once again, I turned out to be absolutely correct. Well, how did I get that so right? Well, it's actually actually it's as simple as reading the tea leaves. You just have to you just have to know how these things go. You have to watch because I watched Washington. I watched Washington for a lot for a long time, better for the better part of about two decades now. Been watching Washington. I've been watching the way things go down in Washington. And if you studied the things that went on in Washington for about the last 25, 30 years, you saw where this was going as soon as they said that they were going to hire an investigator to look into the Hunter Biden thing at the same time that John Durham was doing his thing. So you kind of knew where that was going to go. But come on, look what happened. Now, there was this whole election thing that was wrought with problems, right? Allowing Joe Biden, one of the most unpopular candidates in history, to ascend into office. And then you had a bunch of wonky things going on. He turns over a lot of things. He he wrecks the country. But if you notice, right, if you notice, everybody in Washington, Republicans and Democrats alike, are circling the, the wagons since Joe Biden was inaugurated. They circled the wagons around Joe Biden and Hunter, too. To the point where they scourged the uh, what was they uh, Paul Joseph McIsaac or whatever his name is the computer the computer guy who had Hunter Biden's laptop. They dragged him all through the mud and ruined his life. They almost ruined Rudy, Rudy Giuliani. They wrote, they looked for everybody who had a copy of that laptop so they could confiscate it, right? 
What didn't they do? They didn't even look at the laptop, right? So you knew right away that the FBI wasn't even interested. You, you can kind of see where these things are going. Well, by the time they announced the special investigator, you knew that since the swamp had hired this guy, because remember, this same swamp was the same swamp that rolled out people in the front of Donald Trump saying, this person solid, this person solid, this person solid, and it turned out not to be. Look at Brett Kavanaugh. Look at, I won't say Amy Coney Barrett. Um, Neil Gorsuch is, he's, he's okay, actually. Amy Coney Barrett, yeah, marginal. Brett Kavanaugh, kind of a disaster. William Barr, they ran, they rolled him out in front of Donald Trump as, as a potential AG after, um, after Whitaker. Uh, and they said, hey, Attorney General Barr is great. No, I, he's literally not. He's a swamp donkey. He's um he's in with the bushes. So there's that. Um, all these people, right? Chris Christie. Oh yeah, Chris Christie is a great person ahead of different things in your uh, in your administration, right? Chris Christie is an absolute disaster. So they rolled out all of these people in front of Donald Trump, saying, "Yeah, this guy's solid. This guy's solid." They were, they rolled out William Ray in front of um Donald Trump, saying, "Yeah, this guy's solid. He's a, he's a solid uh, he's a solid replacement for Jim Comey." No, he's not. He's a he's a far left radical dog. So you understand where this is going. So when the swamp hired this guy, um, the special investigator who looked into the Joe Biden thing, you already know he was there to do some cover ups and cover up they did. So again, with all the things that the FBI covered, the things that the special investigator didn't look at, and now what happened last week? Last week, they offered him a plea deal, and they said, look, if you plead guilty to a gun charge and a couple of tax charges, you'll go scot-free, and that's what he did. So once again, the swamp strikes again, and I told you, if you read the tea leaves, that you knew that this was going to happen. It wasn't a surprise. It wasn't a surprise to anybody who was paying attention. That's for, that's for sure. But I'm going to hit that in next week's episode, because next week's episode, I'm going to dedicate to how um, how the Democrats enjoy white privilege. And that's going to spider in, actually, to one, one thing I'm going to talk about this week, which is Uncle Tom and the legend of the black conservative. But well, actually, no, it's going to tie into it, – it, it'll tie into that, but it'll really tie into how the Democrats and inequality thing, because I think more important than – how Democrats, both black and white Democrats, look at black conservatives. I think the the bigger connection there is the fact that Democrats not only do they enjoy a degree of white privilege that they openly decry, which makes no sense whatsoever, but they are responsible for some of the biggest instances of inequality and disparity anywhere in human history. And if you go back to the slavery days, when Democrats ran that, the Jim Crow days after Reconstruction, when Democrats ran that, all the way up to Lyndon Baines Johnson, all the way up to Bill Clinton, to Barack Obama, you're going to see that the the inequality thing was is like a Democrat mainstay. Even nowadays under Joe Biden, the, the inequality thing is a mainstay, and it's a staple of the Democrat movement and the Democrat Party. So I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about all of that next week. Um, I'm also gonna pull I'll pull another subject. So I usually talk about two subjects. That's what I'm gonna do. But suffice it to say that again the swamp strikes again. 
Washington, D.C. Now, you know how corrupt Washington, D.C. actually is while they're going after the political opponent of the current sitting president, which is some banana republic type stuff, while letting the same president's son get, in, get away with things that earned black Americans time in prison. But again, all that's coming next week, so be sure to tune in. Anyway, I'm going to take a break. When I get when I come back, we're going to get started with this. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to point out to you all of the examples of inequality that is unmistakably Democrat. All right. So we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we'll get into that. Uh, you're listening to ABC on BTR. Hey, let's take a minute and meet Clark Kent, our Superman. Chief, believe me, you're in for a treat just as soon as Jimmy gets back here. Great Caesar's ghost, what's holding him up? You know I can't work without a good breakfast. Chief, Jimmy's bringing a box of Kellogg's sugar smacks. All the more reason for hurrying. Confounded, that boy knows I like those new sugar smacks. And he knows I do, too. And that's a cinch. Well, here I am. Young man, if you spill those new sugar smacks, you're fired. Golly, Chief, I hadn't opened up the box yet. But I'm going to now. Well, I guess we all agree on sugar smacks. Right. Folks, don't wait. Get Kellogg's new sugar smacks. They're better than ever. Puffs of wheat, sugar toasted, and candy sweet. You bet. Just get Kellogg's sugar smacks, brand new. A Northwest Mountie, and he's been trailing this desperate character for three years. And I'm tired. Well, it's him or me. Uh-oh. He's got an aching head, an upset stomach, and an empty gun. What you need is some Alka-Seltzer. You know what they always say. Yeah, a Mountie always gets his man. Oh, no. I mean about Alka-Seltzer. Relief is just a swallow away. Well, down, 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 the stomach through, round, 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 the system too. With Alka-Seltzer, they always say, relief is just a swallow away. Bless that relief-giving Alka-Seltzer. For that headache and upset feeling, take Alka-Seltzer. Relief is just a swallow away. Hi, kids. Look at some delicious magic. With the extra-good chocolate-flavored syrup, Bosco. Now watch. Take ice cream, spoon on extra-rich, extra-thick, extra-chocolatey Bosco syrup. There's the best chocolate flavor you ever tasted. More Bosco magic. Cake, ice cream, topped with extra-thick, extra-chocolatey Bosco syrup. Try it. Bosco also makes milk chocolatey delicious. Tell mom to get Bosco chocolate-flavored syrup for you. Sing out. I love Bosco. It's rich in chocolate tea. Chocolate-flavored Bosco is mighty good for me. Mama puts it in my milk for extra energy. Bosco gives me iron and sunshine vitamin D. Oh, I love Bosco. That's the drink for me. I'm a spaceman. 
shortening discovery for better baking and frying. It's Procter & Gamble's Golden Fluffo, the first all-new shortening in 40 years. It's rich. Its color is golden yellow. And what a pie it makes. Richer looking, better tasting, more appetizing. But let's hear what Mrs. Thelma Styra, Indiana State Fair baking champion, had to say about Fluffo. I love Fluffo. It makes such a golden brown pie. Oh, man, that's some apple pie. Well, Mr. Wallace, that's a prettier pie than I ever baked with plain white shortening. And look how flaky it is. This yellow Fluffo is such a short shortening. Makes pie crust so rich. Like cooking champions, get richer looking, better tasting, more appetizing results in everything you bake or fry. Get golden Fluffo. Yoo-hoo-hoo, I've got a Swiss cream sandwich for you. Crisp golden cookies and in between an extra thick. It's my pick. Filling of cream. Dessert time. Tea time. Don't miss Swiss. As the man around here, you can quote me on this. Yoo-hoo-hoo. It's Swiss cream sandwich for you, you, and you, a truly different cream sandwich. Swiss cream sandwich baked by Nabisco. The luscious, creamy fillings in a class by itself. No other like it. And these tempting vanilla cookies are so light they melt in your mouth. You, you, it's Swiss cream sandwich for you, you, and you, Swiss cream sandwich. Say, it's time for my favorite dance team, so let's look. Ah, a box of matches and a pack of old gold cigarettes. That's all you need, my friend. And you're enjoying the smoothest, mildest, tastiest cigarette ever created. A treat instead of a treatment. That's old gold cigarettes. Made by tobacco men, not medicine men. To give you the cigarette that treats you better in every way. Because in every way, it's a better cigarette. Good, huh? Yes, for a treat instead of a treatment. Get a pack or get a carton of old gold cigarettes. Right now, this is Dennis James reminding you to keep smoking old gold cigarettes. Thanks. Attention. To help carry on our important work, I want you to join the secret squadron and wear this official badge. 
and have this secret decoder. Following each week's adventure, I'll send an important secret message, and only secret squadron members who have decoders can decode them. Also, later I'll tell you the simple rules for joining the secret squadron, but you must promise to do as I do. Keep yourself healthy and mentally alert. And drink Ovaltine every day. It's the official drink of the Secret Squadron. We Secret Squadron members know chocolate-flavored Ovaltine helps give us what we need for rocket power. Yes, just as a rocket adds thrust during takeoff, Ovaltine can add the kind of nourishment so important for rocket power. We drink Ovaltine hot for breakfast. Mmm, good, too. And cold for lunch and between meal snacks. And hot again at bedtime to help keep us revved up with rocket power. Believe me, Ovaltine's got what it takes to help you be a leader in your gang. So drink instant Ovaltine every day. The Gemini Space Flights. Trips are long. The training is hard, like this spacewalk practice. But the astronauts do some things you do. In space, they drank Tang. They mixed it like this in a zero-G pouch, because with no gravity, it would fly all over. You don't have that problem. You can mix it in a glass. Up there, they have to drink it carefully, this way. You can drink it any way you like. Tang tastes orangey. Tastes great. Has lots of vitamins C and A. Tang, chosen for the Gemini astronauts. Have a blast. Have some Tang. This man just showered with a new kind of soap. New Life Boy Mint Refresher. A soap so loaded with mint, so tangy, so frosty, it drives wives wicked. Every bar of new Life Boy Mint Refresher contains the essence of 125 mint leaves. Soap has never smelled this good before, and neither have you. New Life Boy Mint Refresher drives wives wicked. Democrats, one thing the Democrats like to say, right, is that, oh, we're the champion of the little guy. Oh, we look out for people's rights. Equity, you know, diversity, equity, inclusion, that's us. Not this other Marxist BS, right? And the, the show was originally going to be about Marxism because, again, Democrats have this inextricable tie. They're like surgically attached to Marxism. Now, I found a article, and I'm not even going to get into it. I was going to, I was going to do, the, do that show, but no, I changed it up a little bit for this. But there was a, there's an article out there. I may, I may hit it next week. But they say, oh, Democrats, Democrats have nothing to do with Marxism. Really? Okay, because you never heard of Democratic Socialists of America. Anyway, um, I'm not getting too far into reason with that because that's next week's show. The Democrats like to say that they're for the little guy, right? They built their they built their whole ideology around Marxist theory. Well, they recently built their ideology around Marxist theories, and 
again, diversity, equity, inclusion, critical race theory, um, rights for different rights for balkanized groups such as trans people, blacks, Hispanics, women, whatever. But what if I were to tell you, and, you know, at the end of the show, if you make it to the end of the show, I'm going to tell you something that nobody had any idea, okay? Nobody knew this. It flew under the radar, and it it escaped everybody, but I picked it up, and I'm going to tell you, and I guarantee you it's something you did not know. I'm going to tell you at the end of the show. But what if I were to tell you that Democrats – are actually the champions of inequality. Well, it's no secret that the Democrats were champions of racism and slavery. I mean, that's no secret. That's no secret out in the air. Now, what they will tell you is, well, there was a great switch. And I always counter with this, and they never have an answer for it. I say, okay, so when did this great switch happen? Did it happen when... LBJ said he'll have niggers voting Democrat for 200 years. Is that what it happened? Did it happen when Bill Clinton signed the legislation that sent the most black people to prison? Did it happen when Joe Biden ran around comparing black people to roaches and saying that Barack Obama was the first clean African-American well-spoken that he ever met? I mean, somebody tell me when. Somebody tell me when this happened. Anyway, what I wanted to say is this, and it, and if you go to the show notes today, and you can kind of follow along with this, so I posted all the show notes and the links to what I'm talking about. So in case you think I'm talking crazy, you can literally see it, right? But Democrats, see, the thing about the Democrats and what they don't tell you about the things that they run, and I think America's finding out now under the Joe Biden regime. But what's happening under the Joe Biden regime has been happening in Democrat cities for as long as I can remember, right? First of all, let's start with the high crime rates in Democrat cities. Now, people would say, oh, the crime rates in states, there are um, higher crime rates in red states than there are in blue states. Maybe, maybe not, but you have to go, you have to drill down to city level because what drives the statistics is population. And you can't say that a city with a high urban population and a state with um, sparse rural rural populations, you can't take the high you can't take the high crime rates of the urban area and paste the entire place with it, paste the entire state with it. Why? Because there are rural areas and suburbs where that crime just doesn't happen. However, because the crime is so high in the, in the urban areas, it's going to push the numbers up statewide. It doesn't mean that the entire state is crime-ridden. It just means that city is crime-ridden and is driving the, driving the, uh, the statistics of the state. Does that make sense? It's really not hard. So if you drill down into the individual cities, you're going to notice that cities that are run by Democrats are the, are the highest and most crime-ridden, right? And I went and I found CBS, it's even CBS News Festival, right? So this here article, and I'll just go through because it's the top, what is it, like 10 cities or something like that for crime rate. And let me just go through the, let me just go through the cities and you'll see what I'm talking about. And this is from, let's see what this is from. I think it was from 2021, I think. 
Uh, oh, wait, it's the top 50, not the top 10, the top 50. I'm just going through the, it's from 2020. This is the top 50 most dangerous cities in America. And I'm not going to go through all 50, but I'm just going to go through the 10, the top 10. And you'll see what they all have in common. I may go through top 15 just to prove my point. But the top 10, number one, Detroit, Michigan, right? This is as of 2020. Number one is Detroit, Michigan, right? And I think either East St. Louis or Memphis might have taken over that. But yeah, number one, Detroit, Detroit, Michigan. Number two, St. Louis, Missouri. Number three, Memphis, Tennessee. Number four, Baltimore, Maryland. Number five, Springfield, Missouri. Number six, tied for number six, actually, is Little Rock, Arkansas, and Cleveland, Ohio. Number eight, Stockton, California. Number nine, Albuquerque, New Mexico. And number 10, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And just to keep this good, keep, keep this ball rolling, 11, San Bernardino, 12, Oakland, 13, Anchorage, 14, Rockford, Illinois, and then 15, New Orleans, Louisiana. What do 14 of those 15 cities have in common, with the exception, I believe, Anchorage, Alaska? They're ran by Democrats, and they grace the top 15 most dangerous cities as far as crime is concerned. Now... Again, this is this even CBS saying so. Like you can't say confirmation bias because CB this is CBS reporting this. It's amazing how Democrats have sweeped this under the rug. But I guess because in as much as it's most of it's being driven by black on black crime, which I'm going to talk about later, um, it's it is what it is. But how is it that the Democrats say that they're all for diversity, equity, and inclusion, and they're running the top 15 most dangerous cities in America? You know what? Let me go. Let's let's go beyond that. Let's go. Let's see. 13, 14, 15, 16, Wichita, 17, Lansing, 18, Nashville, 19, Houston, and then 20, Chattanooga. Two more Republican cities there. So again. We have all of this crime going on in Democrat cities. And then when you look at things like what happened in 2020 with all of the BLM riots that were going on in these Democrat-led cities like Seattle and Portland and Minneapolis and and Pittsburgh and Los Angeles and uh, Pittsburgh, Philadelphia, Philly and um, – well, yeah, Pittsburgh too. But Philly and L.A. and all these other Democrat cities that allowed this BS – that allowed this garbage to go on. And then you have Democrat um, attorney generals who let these guys off scot-free. Now, I'm going to talk about that again when I talk about Democrats and white privilege, because we have Antifa who are widely shielded. Again, 98% white. They're widely shielded from the fact that they've killed black people. They're white people that kill black people and are widely shielded. Whereas you have other white people that kill black people and they get life in prison. I'm going to talk about that when I talk about uh, white privilege next week. Now, that aside, there are such things as the there are such things as the the, the gap in econ, uh, economic standing, which means income inequality. And there are gaps in educational achievement. And what's the biggest thing, what are the two biggest things that really Americans are concerned about? They're concerned about their money and they're concerned about the education. 
Now, when you look at the money, the money situation, and they say, oh, US, the U.S. capitalism must die because the U.S. has the biggest, um, US is the biggest place for wealth inequality and income inequality. But what they fail to do, they look at the big picture, but they don't look at, they don't drill down into the specifics. When they drill down into the specifics, you're going to see something like what I see now. Now, I went to Statista, right? Now, Statista, again, it's not, it's not a bastion of, lib, I mean, bastion of conservative uh, statistic taking, conservative thought. It's mostly politically neutral. It just puts out the statistics the way they are, the way it was ran. Now, I pulled up the income, household income inequality for the nation, right, for the United States. And I found the United States income inequality for 2021 by state. And I was surprised to find this. Well, I wasn't even surprised. <laughs> Can't even say I was surprised if I hyperbole. Um, but I look, and I'm, what I'm going to do is when I, when I say this, it's going to be, I'm going to go from 0.54. Now, understand what, I, what it is I'm talking about. The Gini coefficient, and I'm not going to go too far into the weeds with this because the, the, the mechanics of it really kind of don't matter. What the important thing is, is that the higher the Gini coefficient, the bigger the wealth, uh, the income inequality gap is between blacks and whites, right? So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go over the raw numbers for the, um, for the Gini coefficients for the different areas of the United States. I'm going to go from 0.54 down to about 0. Let's see, a bunch at 0.49, and a couple at 0.48. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go from 0.54 to 0.4. Last one in 0.49. Now you have to understand that there's one area at 0.54, one at 0.53. There's one at 0.51. Let's see, one, two at 0.5. One, two. Three, four, five, six at 0.49, right? That are So who leads the league? Well, Puerto Rico actually leads the league in income in, income uh, inequality at 0.54. What's next? The District of Columbia at 0.53. What do those two areas have in common? They're ran by Democrats. New York ran by Democrats, 0.51. Louisiana. Louisiana is actually a red state. It just turned red. There's 0.5. Connecticut. There's deep blue. 0.5. California. Deep blue. 0.49. Massachusetts. Deep blue. 0.49. Florida. Deep red. 0.49. New Mexico. Deep blue. 0.49. West Virginia. Purple. 0.49. New Jersey. Deep blue. 0.49. So you see all these blue areas that are that are leading the league again. And everything I'm reading, you'll find a bunch of blue areas, a couple of red areas, and maybe one or two purple areas, but the majority of them are blue. So how is it that these Democrats, right, they claim to be all about dampening diversity, equity, and inclusion, especially the equity part. They blast capitalism for um, for spreading income inequality, which is absolute garbage. And I'm going to attack that on a different show when I talk about Marxism. But, again, they say that capitalism is responsible for the biggest income inequality gap. They blame capitalism. 
But if it's capitalism's fault, then why aren't there more red states in the higher end of what higher end of what's it called? It should you would think that the distribution would be a little more equal among the top ten or so, top five to top ten. You think the the distribution between red and blue states would be more equal if it was capitalism and not just political ideology. But the Democrats don't see that. They always blame capitalism, and they never, ever blame their own policies. When their own policies, as as proven here, is responsible for all of this income inequality. But putting aside, well, no, let's let's go a little further. Because remember I say, you can talk about states all day long. But remember, remember, when you talk about states, you have to look at the individual cities. Why? Because the populations of individual cities will drive the statistics of the entire state. And it's really not fair to say that this this state has this much of this as a whole. You got to look at the individual cities and areas and find out where the problem areas are. Because guaranteed that all of the states that I mentioned, all those blue states that I mentioned, they have suburbs. They have rural areas. You know, it's not all just one big metropolitan Democrat area. Now, a lot of those states that I mentioned, they have suburban areas that are deep blue. But the population matters. The population number matters. And when you have a centralized population anywhere, you have to look at the you have to look at the statistics and how that factors into driving the driving the statistics of the state. So when I went to U.S. News, right, and I looked for the cities with the biggest income inequality gaps, remember when I said Puerto Rico is number one? Well, San Juan, Puerto Rico is actually number one, 0.59 on the Gini index. So they drive, San Juan drives the entire um, drives the entire bus when it comes to income inequality. San Juan is deep blue. And San Juan, see, Puerto Rico itself is deep blue. San Juan is deep blue and is deep blue to the point where the Democrats actually want to make Puerto Rico a state so they have two more uh, two more Democratic senators. That's how that's how bad the situation is there. Now, number two in city with inequality, um, Atlanta, Georgia. Atlanta, Georgia is driving the bus in Georgia with a Gini index of 0.57. Number three, now remember how I said Florida is a red state? Now, people would say, well, that just proves that there's income inequality. The Republicans are responsible for income inequality, too, because number three ringing in is Miami, Florida, with a Gini index of 0.5674. Miami, Florida is a Democrat-run, Democrat-run city. There's a Democrat in office, in the mayor's office, right this minute. They've had a Democrat mayor in that office for a uh, my recent memory, but yeah, so Miami, Florida, is always that's the least that I remember. It's been blue. Number four, New Orleans, Louisiana, with a Gini of zero point five six. Number five, New York, zero point five four. Number six, Cleveland, zero point five four. Number seven, Cincinnati, Ohio, zero point five four three two. So I'm looking at New York at zero point five four six nine. Cleveland, 0.5467. Cincinnati, 0.5432. Dallas, 0.5341. Tampa, Florida, 0.5339. And Chicago, Illinois, 0.5335. So you have all of these blue areas. I think 
Tampa might be red. I'm not sure. But you have all these blue areas, Chicago, Dallas, Cincinnati, Cleveland, New York, um, New Orleans. New Orleans is Democrat. Atlanta, San Juan. All of, you see where all of these cities are driving the bus for the states, and all of these cities are deep blue? This is where the, this is where the um, biggest income inequality gaps are. So when the Democrats come and say, well, that is, well, red states, they have income inequality too. And you got to look at the cities. And chances are, when you look at those cities, you'll see that the cities that are driving the bus, as far as the states are concerned, you'll see that they are deep blue, right? Now, I I didn't stop there. I went and looked at the educational achievement gap. And this one is kind of a weird one because, again, it's not as disparate as the um, income inequality is. However, when you look at, let's see, uh, okay, we'll go right there. I'm just adjusting a couple of, uh, a couple of the options here on this uh, statistics graph. So sepa.stanford.edu. That's another thing that I link to in my in the in the show notes. And if you go to SEPA and you look down and you'll see an interactive map that show the statistics that come from Stanford University against Stanford, no no bastion of conservatism, right? But you'll see in this interactive map how the disparate outcomes between education and education between blacks and whites you'll see where the problems are as far as you know, as far as states are concerned. Now, it didn't, doesn't really get into cities here. Um, I think that's coming. But, uh, again, look at the states that are kind of driving the bus here, right, as far as income inequality. Um, Nebraska and Wisconsin, those are two big ones, right? Um, average white and NAEP score in Nebraska is 292. Average black is 250, right? Wisconsin's 295 to 252, so they're about they're running kind of neck and neck as far as the gap is concerned. But then again, look at all these other areas that are that are right there: Illinois, New York, Massachusetts, South Carolina. Now we have a few of the southern red states like Alabama, Mississippi, and Arkansas, which Arkansas I think is more purple than anything. But definitely Alabama and Mississippi, they're Republican areas. But again, got to drill down to the cities. But again, Nebraska, got to look at Lincoln. Wisconsin, got to look at places like Milwaukee and Madison. New York, you got to look at New York City and Buffalo and Rochester and those areas. Um, But when you look at this, you'll see where these states are lining up. Wyoming, another big one, because, again, there are just way more blacks and, I mean, way more whites in Wyoming than there are blacks. California is a real huge one. Um, average white NAEP score 291. Average black is 257. So you see where the you see where the in, I mean the educational achievement gap is there. Now, when I took a look at the statistics as far as achievement by socioeconomic disparity, the socioeconomic disparity measure of unemployment, well then. Washington, D.C., that really jumped out. Like, that nobody even touches D.C. as far as the, edu- as far as the education gap um, among poor and rich. Nobody, nobody even comes close. 
And then when you drop way over to the left, you'll come to places like Minnesota, New Jersey, Nebraska, Wisconsin, Connecticut. See here all these blue areas except for Nebraska, but Wisconsin's blue, Connecticut's blue, Illinois is blue, Michigan's blue, yeah, Colorado's blue. So all it is, there's a little cluster of blue areas, and then you have the middle of the road people where most of the country is, and then you have the low end, which is like Idaho, Montana, red, red, um, Hawaii, which is blue, Alaska's red, Utah's red, you get this, Vermont's blue, Wyoming red, West Virginia purple, um, New Hampshire, I think, is blue, there's a couple people. There's only like two people in the lobster I live in New Hampshire anyway. Um, Kentucky's red, so you have all these red at the back. All you have all these blues. You have the middle of the road. You have all these blue areas that separated themselves to the front of the pack, and then you have Washington D.C. driving the bus. If you go to sepa.stanford.edu, you will see that. So again, tell me how, tell me how, Democrats are champions of the little guy, champions of education, champions of this, champions of that. They run, they're running the system, they're running the school boards, and this is the result. A wide, disper- a wide disparity in blue areas between black achievement and white achievement, yet Democrats say they're the champions of diversity, equity, and inclusion. That's always kind of weird to me. I'm going to take a break. And when I come back, we're going to get into this Uncle Tom thing because I saw the movie Uncle Tom by Larry Elder. And I can understand why a lot of black liberals hate it, just hate that movie, because it tells the truth. So what I'm going to do, I'm not going to talk about the movie, but what I'm going to talk about is some things that happened, and I'm going to tie it into, I'm going to tie it, I'm just going to, I'm just going to make some connections, all right? So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take a break, and then when we come when we come back, that's what we get into. The phone lines are going to be open for those of us who those of you who are listening live. Um, but if you're recorded and you have a comment about any of this, leave it down. If you have if you're on Facebook, I believe you can leave the leave your Facebook comment on this show in the comment section. So if that's your thing, that's your thing. Uh, listen to it. Leave your comment. Let me know how. Let me know what you think. I'm going to take a break. When we come back, we're getting into the whole Uncle Tom thing. You're listening to ABC on BTR. Hey, let's take a minute and meet Clark Kent. You're a Superman. Chief, believe me, you're in for a treat just as soon as Jimmy gets back here. Great Caesar's ghost. What's holding him up? You know I can't work without a good breakfast. Chief, Jimmy's bringing a box of Kellogg's sugar smacks. All the more reason for hurrying. Confounder, that boy knows I like those new sugar smacks. And he knows I do, too. Matt's a cinch. Well, here I am. Young man, if you spill those new sugar smacks, you're fired. Golly, Chief, I hadn't opened up the box yet. But I'm going to now. Well, I guess we all agree on sugar smacks. Right. Folks, don't wait. Get Kellogg's new sugar smacks. They're better than ever. Puffs of wheat, sugar toasted. And candy sweet. You bet. Just get Kellogg's Sugar Smacks, brand new. 
a Northwest Mountie, and he's been trailing this desperate character for three years. And I'm tired. Well, it's him or me. He's got an aching head, an upset stomach, and an empty gun. What you need is some Alka-Seltzer. You know what they always say. Yeah, a Mountie always gets his man. Oh, no. I mean about Alka-Seltzer. Relief is just a swallow away. Well. Down, 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 the stomach through. Round, 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 the system too. With Alka-Seltzer, they always say. Relief is just... Bless that relief-giving Alka-Seltzer. For that headache and upset feeling, take Alka-Seltzer. Relief is just a swallow away. Hi, kids. Look at some delicious magic with the extra-good chocolate-flavored syrup, Bosco. Now watch. Take ice cream, spoon on extra-rich, extra-thick, extra-chocolatey, Bosco syrup. There's the best chocolate flavor you ever tasted. More Bosco magic. Cake, ice cream, topped with extra thick, extra chocolatey Bosco syrup. Try it. Bosco also makes milk chocolatey delicious. Tell mom to get Bosco chocolate flavored syrup for you. Sing out. I love Bosco. It's rich in chocolate tea. Chocolate flavored Bosco is mighty good for me. Mama puts it in my milk for extra energy. Bosco gives me iron and sunshine vitamin D. Oh, I love Bosco. That's the drink for me. I'm a spaceman. The moon and sun and all the stars are great big just to I'm a princess. Yes, my lord, it's a party tonight. We'll have to do a pop. All the kids in the neighborhood say to do a pop. They're triple good. Triple good. And do you know why? Sure. Because one, there's good tasting hard candy outside. And two, there's a delicious center of Tootsie Roll inside. And three, only Tootsie Roll Pops are such fun to eat. That's why they're triple good. And don't forget Tootsie Roll Pops come in a party pack, too. Ten Pops in assorted flavors. There's a game on the back that's lots of fun to do. All the kids in the neighborhood say Tootsie Roll Pops are triple good. Triple good. You'll love Tootsie Roll Pops. Hi, I'm Mike Wallace with a sensational shortening discovery for better baking and frying. It's Procter & Gamble's Golden Fluffo, the first all-new shortening in 40 years. It's rich. Its color is golden yellow. And what a pie it makes. Richer looking, better tasting, more appetizing. But let's hear what Mrs. Thelma Styra, Indiana State Fair baking champion, had to say about Fluffo. I love Fluffo. It makes such a golden brown pie. Oh, man, that's some apple pie. Well, Mr. Wallace, that's a prettier pie than I ever baked with plain white shortening. And look how flaky it is. This yellow Fluffo is such a short shortening. Makes pie crust so rich. Like cooking champions, get richer looking, better tasting, more appetizing results in everything you bake or fry. Get golden Fluffo. Yoo-hoo-hoo, yoo-hoo, yoo-hoo-hoo, 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 yoo-hoo
whipped cream sandwich for you. Crisp golden cookies and in between an extra thick. It's my pick. Filling of cream. Dessert time. Tea time. Don't miss with. As the man around here, you can quote me on this. Say, it's time for my favorite dance team, so let's look. Ah, a box of matches and a pack of old gold cigarettes. That's all you need, my friend. And you're enjoying the smoothest, mildest, tastiest cigarette ever created. A treat instead of a treatment. That's old gold cigarettes. Made by tobacco men, not medicine men. To give you the cigarette that treats you better in every way. Because in every way, it's a better cigarette. Good, huh? Yes, for a treat instead of a treatment. Get a pack or get a carton of old gold cigarettes. Right now, this is Dennis James reminding you to keep smoking old gold cigarettes. Thanks. Attention. To help carry on our important work, I want you to join the secret squadron and wear this official badge and have this secret decoder. Following each week's adventure, I'll send an important secret message and only secret squadron members who have decoders can decode them. Also, later I'll tell you the simple rules for joining the secret squadron, but you must promise to do as I do. Keep yourself healthy and mentally alert and drink Ovaltine every day. It's the official drink of the Secret Squadron. We Secret Squadron members know chocolate-flavored Ovaltine helps give us what we need for rocket power. Yes, just as a rocket adds thrust during takeoff, Ovaltine can add the kind of nourishment so important for rocket power. We drink Ovaltine hot for breakfast. Mmm, good, too. And cold for lunch and between meal snacks. And hot again at bedtime to help keep us revved up with rocket power. Believe me, Ovaltine's got what it takes to help you be a leader in your gang. So drink instant Ovaltine every day. The Gemini Space Flights. The trips are long. The training is hard, like this spacewalk practice. But the astronauts do some things you do. In space, they drank Tang. They mixed it like this in a zero-G pouch, because with no gravity, it would fly all over. You don't have that problem. You can mix it in a glass. Up there, they have to drink it carefully, this way. You can drink it any way you like. Tang tastes orangey. Tastes great has lots of vitamins C and A. Tang, chosen for the Gemini astronauts. 
Have a blast. Have some tang. This man just showered with a new kind of soap. New Life Boy Mint Refresher. A soap so loaded with mint, so tangy, so frosty, it drives wives wicked. Every bar of new Life Boy Mint Refresher contains the essence of 125 mint leaves. Soap has never smelled this good before, and neither have you. New Life Boy Mint Refresher drives wives wicked. All right, so sorry, just a, a couple of things that happened uh, here in the here in my studio. So we have to my cat's going crazy. Um, so when we broke, right, I started to go into well, I told you we we're going to go into this whole um, this whole Uncle Tom thing because of the Uncle Tom piece is it's really weird, and my cat's really going crazy. This Uncle Tom piece is really is. It's strange to me because I don't understand how somebody, a group of people, well, again, they're Marxists, so they do a lot of things that no rational person really understands. But how you how you have a bunch of people, right, who who say that, oh, Black Lives Matter, we have to support the Black community. Respect and protect the black woman, blah, blah, blah. Uplift the black community. Um, black voices need to be heard. All this all this other stuff, right? Yet these same people will turn around. See, when you say, when they say, oh, yeah, uh, black voices need to be uplifted. Okay. Then you put Tim Scott. Oh, that man. Oh, he a coon. He Uncle Tom. Okay. Well, black voices need to be uplifted, right? Yeah, black voices need to be uplifted. Okay. Here's Candace Owens. Oh, shit, bedwins, blah, 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 blah. Okay. Um, black voices need to be uplifted, right? Yeah. Well, here's Diamond and Silk. Oh, they bedwins, they, they coons, blah, blah, blah. Okay. Black voices need to be uplifted, right? Right. Well, here's Clarence Thomas. Oh, he and Uncle Tom. Larry Elder, he and Uncle Tom. So black voices need to be uplifted, yet these people we roll out in front of you who are, who are actually telling the truth and talking sense and they're Uncle Tom's? And it's weird because, like, you got they call people Uncle Tom who dare tell the truth about what's really going on. And if they don't suck up to the Democrat Party and they don't suck up to the Democrat narrative and the Democrat ideology because of what historically the Democrats were, all of a sudden they're Uncle Tom. It's, it's actually ridiculous on his face when you think about the term Uncle Tom and where it came from, right? Because anybody who's read a book, and this is this is what I'm saying, you can tell people who don't read books because they'll make a reference to a book in the completely wrong context, right? Because if you read a book, you read a book, you know what the book entails. If you read if you read Fahrenheit Fahrenheit 451, you know about Captain Booklanger and what he what he did, Secret Life of Walter Mitty, and you know all this all what he did. You read I Robot. I mean, any of these books, if you read the books, you automatically know the sequence of events that happen with the title character and how things come up and how things resolve, right? But I swear, these, these black liberals, they never, ever, they, they keep referring to Uncle Tom, and they never read the book. They never read the book. And you can tell because 
because of the people who they call Uncle Tom and why they call them Uncle Tom. And again, people who call me Uncle Tom, I take it as a badge of honor. Why? Because I actually read the book and I actually know what Uncle Tom did. I, I know who Uncle Tom was. So to call me an Uncle Tom is kind of like a badge of honor to me. Now, the ignorant person would say, oh, my God, what's wrong with him? He says being called Uncle Tom is a badge of honor, we try and, and we're trying to clown him. Well, if you're clowning me by calling me Uncle Tom, like, okay, that's like clowning a Honda Civic by comparing it to a Ferrari. Like, it, you see where it doesn't make sense? But one thing I, would, I do want to do with this is I want to get into um, some of these things that I read and some of these articles because – it's weird that people would actually do this and call certain people Uncle Tom because of they, they don't agree with the politics or whatever. But, you know, sorry, I had to do, do something real quick. But because you don't agree with the politics, because you don't agree with what I say, with what I say, because you're stuck on one ideology, an ideology of lies, you want to come and call us Uncle Tom. Okay. Well, let's get into this. And when I bring up these sites now, Tim Scott. See, this is the, this is their favorite whipping post now. Is is Tim Scott? Why? Because Tim Scott. See, Tim Scott lived a life that most of them only dreamed of. Right? The man is single, so he can he's unattached. He can do whatever he wants. Now, some people say that's a good thing. Some people say that's a bad thing. Depends on what side of depends depends on what side of the aisle you're on. Like me, um, having having had my roots in men's rights activism, know that there are two, two frames of thought about him being single, which is A, MGTOW, or, you know, B, oh, yeah, there's only one side. It's A, MGTOW. He's, he's doing his own thing, right? Damn with these women are going to have to say, look, I, I'm going to do what I want. I'm going to be a senator. I'm going to worry about me. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with Worrying about you. How do we know that? Because this is what feminists talk about all the time, right? Yet when black people, black men do it, it's wrong because, oh, black women, well, you can take your black women and up the wazoo it goes. But uh, that aside, I'm not going into, I'm not going into the weeds with that. Tim Scott has become a favorite whipping post. And right now I got this News One article and News One is one of these clown sites, one of these black clown sites. Um, it's Marxist for sure. And they say they say the most buffoonish thing. But this guy, his name is Zach Lindley, right? Zach Lindley. I see he's still using his slave name to try and he's going to denigrate black people. But again, I'm gonna read some of this and you're gonna understand the mindset that goes into the Marxist when they when they try to frame a black conservative into some sort of a into some sort of a reference point, but here it is. It says um, I've said it before, and I'll say it again. I remember this is opinion, so they're not going to hear a whole lot of they're not going to hear a whole lot of things that make sense because this is an opinion of a Marxist. But you're going to understand, and if I need to refute something, I will. But it says I said it before, and I say it again. South Carolina Senator and Republican great wannabe white height Tim Scott is boring. So now he's now he's saying that Republican Tim Scott is a white height. And this is where, this is another place where these black liberals go wrong, is the fact that they think that because you're supporting the Republican Party, that the Republican Party is somehow, um, somehow cow, that's somehow kowtowing to white people as if 
the Republican Party is comprised of only white people and is not. But I'll get into that in a, li- a little later. It says he's a generic version of the black conservative brand. He's not as cartoonishly obnoxious as Jason Whitlock or Candace Owens. Whatever Candace Owens, whatever you they think of Candace Owens, she does talk. She does tell the truth about what goes on in the black community. Why? Because she's black and she's been black. Now, I have my points of disagreement with black with Candace Owens. That's for sure. But as far as what she says about the black community, you know, she does have her points. Jason Whitlock as well. And says he's not a to go on. He's not a modern day Amos and Andy the way Diamond and Silk were. Which again, Diamond and Silk were such firebrands of telling truth that they attracted they attracted Donald Trump, a, a president of the United States. Now, which two bloggers have ever attracted the attention of a president? Diamond and Silk did. Why? Because Donald Trump took a lot of what Diamond and Silk said and implemented them into policy. Where do you think he got where do you think came from that Donald Trump um, funded HBCUs at the highest level of any president ever. Donald Trump did that, and it was because of Diamond and Silk and the things that Diamond and Silk were saying. So there you go. So I'm pretty sure with just that one thing, Diamond and Silk have done way more for the black community than this guy Zach Lindley ever has, writing for this Marxist blog. But anyway, let's go on. And it's not as fiendishly grim as Justice Clarence Thomas, Okay, let me tell you guys something about Clarence Thomas going off this real quick. I want to tell you a story about Clarence Thomas. Clarence Thomas. Well, it's not a story, but it's something that these people need to know about Clarence Thomas, which they don't care, but whatever. Clarence Thomas knows. He's been in Supreme Court. He's been in Supreme Court a long time. Clarence Thomas knows the name of everybody that works in there and all of their family situations and who all their families are. And it's not beyond Clarence Thomas to come into work, look at one of maybe the interns or the assistants or something, call them, greet them by name, say good morning by name, good morning, Katie, whatever, and say, hey, I heard you, hey, your husband was in the hospital. How's he doing? Hey, I heard your cat died. I'm so sorry. Hey, Joe, um, tell your wife happy birthday for me. This is what Clarence Thomas does because he cares about people. So when they say, oh, he's fiendishly grim, no, he's literally not. He is the he is one of the most caring people, not to mention he is one of the greatest justices in the history of America. He's one of the most caring people there in the Supreme Court. And people are they're literally amazed at his ability to remember names and faces and details of people and actually care about them along those lines. So there you go. And it says but going on, he's not as seniorly grim as Justice Clarence Thomas or even as comically ignorant as Herschel Walker, which is funny because Raphael Warnock defeated Herschel Walker, right? And you say Herschel Walker is comically ignorant, but Herschel Walker got beaten by a black pastor who advocates abortion. I'm going to let that roll around in your brain a little bit. So Herschel Walker is comically ignorant, but he was defeated by a black pastor, a black Christian pastor who is a staunch advocate of abortion. Going on. 
Uh, Tim Scott is milked out of a presidential candidate who appears to be aware that as a black conservative, his value to MAGA America lies in his unwilling, unwavering real, will to repeat as often as possible that America is not a racist country, which it literally is a place. Um, I'll talk about that in a minute. It appears to be about 90% of his platform as he argues this dead white nationalist horse of a non-argument with the most generic bargain basement white conservative talking points one could think of, which is kind of a word salad. But what he's basically saying is that because, because he believes that America is a racist country, which it literally isn't, and I'm going to tell, tell you why in a little bit, but because he believes that America is a racist country, that anybody who says America is not a racist country is a white nationalist, and that that the fact that people say that America is not a racist country because white nationalist because he believes it's what white nationalists say that it's a dead horse of a trope, it's a dead horse of a talking point. It's it's a moot point, which is not. America is not a racist country, and I had a de- I had a debate last year at at, Ken- at, at Covington Day with the chair of the 47th legislative district Democrats. And what I put to her, she had no answer for. She had no comeback for. And I said, America cannot be a racist country. Why? Because there's no country that can be racist. No country is racist. All the country is is land land and water and trees and stuff, right? And borders. That's what it is. Now, are individual people in the country racist? Yes. Can the majority of a population in a country be racist? Yes. Look at China, right? However, to say that China is a racist country is a misnomer because China is just a country. It's just a land with borders and trees and dirt and water. But yes, there can be racist people in this country, which means America truly is not a racist country. Now, when we talk about individual racism, yes. When we talk about systemic racism, yeah, right? That's where we get into sketchy territory. There's really, there really, I don't see systemic racism. And when somebody says systemic racism, well, I'll get into that in another show. But suffice it to say that any anything I question people who say that there's systemic racism, I ask them certain questions that they just cannot answer. So I'm not convinced that systemic racism is rampant, but I'm going to get into that in a different show. But moving on. On Monday, Scott made an appearance on Review, okay, um, with Benny Austin and Whoopi Goldberg. So he's talking what happened on The View. But it's amazing that because Tim Scott says that America is not a racist country, which is literally not, they have racist people in it, but the country itself is not racist, that somehow he's kowtowing to white supremacists. And that one is funny because white supremacy is a thing of the left. Um, I do believe I talked about that last week. I talked about um, the 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 cult of the left. But white supremacy is completely a, a completely a leftist thing. It started. It didn't start with the Democrats, with the old Dixiecrats and the Ku Klux Klan and slavery. But definitely those those Methodists, because everybody says, oh, they're conservatives. They were religious. They were Methodists. And if you read the um, if you read the the talking point in the Methodist, you can see where you can see how it is they advocated for slavery and why they thought the way they thought about people. Just go to just go to the website on the Methodist and read that, and you will understand. If provided you're not a liberal and you can actually read, but again, go go and see that. But yes, the Bill Dixie Cats, Methodist, religious, still racist as hell, still Democrat, 
Ku Klux Klan, terrorist arm of the Democrat Party, Jim Crow, upheld by Democrats. Um, great switch? No, there's only like maybe one or two senators that actually that actually changed parties. Um, what happened was, again, they say, oh well, they played they um, played into the Republicans. What's it called? Uh, the reason why the Republicans took the South is because Republicans adopted that Southern strategy to play to the white races. And then I always ask them this. Well, if that's true, then how come the Republicans didn't uphold Jim Crow policy in the South um, in, in 1972, especially, you know, with Lyndon Johnson and Richard Nixon coming into office? Like, seriously? But, again, you, you, you have a bunch of things that just don't make sense. Anyway, um, this next one. It says, it's another opinion, Dustin J. Siebert, again, a Negro who, who loves to talk about Uncle Tom's but still uses a slave name. It says, Tim Scott and the embarrassing black conservatives who ignore racism. So obviously, with these two, see, the thinking of this Negro, right, of this liberal Negro, the thinking is, if you don't see racism in, underneath every rock and every stone, because again, remember, America is racist, the country. The, the land, the water, the trees, the plot of land where the border lies, that's racist, right? So if you don't pick up a rock and see racism under it, then you're a coon. You're an Uncle Tom, right? This is what this guy's saying. But let's see. Senator Tim Scott hopped in the 2024 presidential race Monday with a campaign speech in his hometown in North Charleston, South Carolina. Scott employed language similar to every black evangelical politician, victimhood or victory. I choose freedom, hope, and opportunity. I disrupt their narrative. And he literally, he absolutely should. But going on. Um, In his most attention-grabbing comments, Scott diminished the existence of racism. Actually, he did not. What he said was the country is not racist. But he knows that there are individual people in this country who are racist. That's the difference. But this guy, in in an effort to straw man what Tim Scott is saying, he just says, oh, Scott diminished the existence of racism, which he absolutely did not. Anyway, it goes on. And this quote, it says, for those of you wondering if America is a racist country, take a look at how all of God's people come together because unconditional love binds hearts together, which is funny because when the liberals say that under the false guise of Marxism, they they will say, oh, yeah, we are, we all need to be one, which is why the rainbow flag is a thing. But Again, when liberals say that, it's okay. When Tim Scott says that he's a coon, he says, we're not defined by the color of our skin. We're defined by the content of our character. Remember, Martin Luther King said that, and liberals go crazy over him, right? Why is it that when Tim, Tim Scott says it, then it, all of a sudden it's a problem? Scott doubled down on his inherently flawed ideas. So basically, the things that, things that the left says are flawed ideas, according to him, according to this this Negro, this, this what's his name, Justin Dustin Siebert. It says, Scott doubled down his inherently flawed ideas, I guess, on Monday's episode of The View. So we're talking about The View again. So, whatever. Um, Disney indoctrinating children, which they truly absolutely are. Most sensible black folks see through this bullshit like a Ziploc bag. For, for the woefully uninitiated, however, I'll put the snark on hold just for a sec. Oh, please do. Uh, racism is forever. And it's everywhere, including America. That no one is dragging black folks by their noose necks behind moving cars in the open anymore doesn't suggest it's completely non-existent in all its forms. Again, this guy misses, he misses the plane. Yes, racism is here. Yes, racism is forever. I will 
when stipulated. I would actually concede that point to him. However, what he's saying, what he's saying makes no sense when he says um, that no one is dragging Black Coast Fighter Noose next. Okay, that's not okay. That's not happening. But when you say that America is a racist country, you have to again. You have to go back to what I said. You, if you look under every, he's looking under every rock and trying to find racism, and it's not there. Now, are individual people racist? Yes, but that doesn't prove that racism, that America is somehow racist. Or even if 75% of the people in America are racist, doesn't mean America is racist. Why? Because America is America is just it's land. It's, it's land and dirt and water and rocks and trees and stuff. So, again, anyway, keep moving. Look no, for, look no further than the 2016 election of Donald Trump, which galvanized the Tiki Torch protesters. Okay, first of all, the Tiki Torch, Donald Trump did not galvanize the Tiki Torch protesters. What galvanized, see, this is how much his Negro knows. The Tiki Torch Guard protesters were not galvanized by Donald Trump. What they were galvanized by were the removal of Confederate statues. Again, that the fact that those guys who they call white supremacists were galvanized by the removal of Confederate statues, which Confederates were overwhelmingly Democrat. In fact, they're all Democrat. Means that the white supremacists supported the Democrats of that day. So they, he conveniently ignores that point. Next, um, you want to talk about the Tiki Torch protesters and the U.S. Capitol insurrectionists and completely ignore all of the cities, all the Democrat cities that were destroyed by leftists during the 2020 riots. But I don't expect him to talk about this because he's talking about he's talking about um, black conservatives, so he's not going to he's not going to turn the mirror around on his own people. But you know, here we are. Um, let's see. I'm galvanize the Tiki Torch protesters and the U.S. Capitol insurrectionists to say all the quiet parts very loudly in a manner I haven't seen before in my life. Which you need to step out of the black neighborhood, get away from the TVs, and you'll, you're going to see something different. But whatever. Uh, moving to the next paragraph. Um, yes, Scott is just one of several charisma-free, cookie-cutter conservatives, House Negroes. He wants to talk about, a, okay, um, propagating the notion that black folks bucking up and letting go of that pesky racism issue that apparently hasn't. See, this dude, see, this is one of those guys who believes that in order to rep the black neighborhood, you have to you have to submit yourself to the fact that you're never going to earn anything or never going to make anything of yourself because you will always be subject to the, um, to the whims and the powers of the white majority. And that's not true. First of all, white supremacy, the white supremacist is an absolute minority in this country. As a matter of fact, they have really zero real powers besides pinky torches. I mean, what, what do you got? Where's the where's the clan nowadays, right? They're not holding. I mean, they hold rallies, but they're not as big as they used to be. You'll you'll have maybe fifteen twenty people at a clan rally. So where whereas there used to be hundreds of people at a clan rally, now you'll be lucky to muster up even twenty. I came from Fontana, which they called it Fontana because the grand one of the grand wizards of Ku Klux Klan had a house up in Devore, which is just on the northern border of Fontana. So there used to be Klansmen that live around there, but even at the Klan rallies up there, they would muster 10 to 15 people. So I don't understand where he would, where he gets this from. So he talks about Herman Cain and slinging Godfather's pizza, which, um, which was actually everybody 
love Godfather's Pizza. But Herman Cain, let me tell you about Herman Cain. Herman Cain, and I did a thing, I did it years ago, I did a video about Herman Cain. And people called Herman Cain and Uncle Tom. Why? Because Herman Cain was pro-life. He was religious and he was pro-life. And one of the things that he said that pissed off black people, that pissed this Negro off, was the fact that abortion clinics are overwhelmingly set up in black communities to, um, to control the black population. And not only is that true as far as Margaret Sanger is concerned, I actually proved it was true using Google Maps. And I did it on YouTube. I want to put that video down. But still, it's no less true. You can go to Google Maps, put in abortion clinics, and look through black neighborhoods and white, you know, predominantly black and predominantly white neighborhoods, and see the disproportionate numbers of abortion clinics in each neighborhood. You can, you can do that right now. This Negro doesn't do that. So he just blindly, he blindly takes what he's given. So he talks about Larry Elder running for governor and all this stuff. He didn't see, and it says, these morons have one thing in common. When it's time to get elected, the white Republicans, they courted, drop them like used napkins, and the Democrat uh, they challenge ultimately gets to office. Not really. See, first of all, he's calling these people morons, but this is the guy that's writing for Huffington Post. So, again, there's that. But when it when who – let's see. <laughs> uh, Tim Scott got elected and he's running for president and he's actually enjoying a good number of he's actually enjoying a he's not the highest in approval rating right now Donald Trump is like running away with that but he's not being scourged like you think he is bro you know and then again when it comes time to get elected like look at Clarence Thomas he's still being revered among the right so you have a bunch of black conservatives. Again, Jason Whitlock, Candace Owens. You have um, Officer Tatum, the Hodge twins. All of these, all of these black conservatives that are enjoying popularity among both black conservatives and white conservatives that are just being scourged among uh, the liberals. And then you want to talk about Democrat incumbent Wapia Warnock beating Walker again. You want to talk about never taking Walker seriously? Well, how can we take seriously? Uh, um, how can we take it seriously? A black pastor who stands by abortion. Well, speaking of Clarence Thomas, and we had two black, two black elected persons. He wants to talk about, you know, black people being elected and then being left behind by the by white Republicans, whatever. Mm-hmm. But Clarence Thomas, since he's been in the Supreme Court, has been the subject of attacks by black liberals. And one of these black liberals named Emmanuel Jones, he's a Democrat from Georgia. And because Clarence Thomas grew up in Georgia, he's one of the greatest Supreme Court justices in history. They want to put up a statue to him. And Emmanuel Jones called Clarence Thomas and Uncle Tom in protest of the statue being like this is one of the greatest if you read, see, this, this is how we know this Negro doesn't read. Because if this guy read, and he read some of the opinions, some of the Supreme Court opinions since they were penned by Justice Thomas, you, he would have to concede that Justice Thomas is probably one of the greatest legal minds in definitely modern history and probably all of American history, right? 
But this guy doesn't see that. All this guy sees is, well, this guy's against abortion, which I don't know what it, what it is about black people that they love about abortion so much because abortion was actually abortion was actually championed by a known white supremacist named Margaret Sanger who didn't like black people. So, again, when you talk about advocating for abortion like Raphael Warnock, he's actually taking up the mantle for a known white supremacist. And, again, at the end of this show, in about 25 minutes or so, I'm going to tell you something about the Negro's 44th president that nobody knew. And it's going to solidify something I'm going to say. But not only did Emmanuel Jones say it, um, Samuel L. Jackson, he called Clarence Thomas a cone. Benny Thompson, he did too. And you got to understand that when you step down and you when you when you step into the mud and start calling one of the greatest minds in history an Uncle Tom just because you don't agree with his view that says more about them than they than it would about you. The Daily Beast speaking of Benny Thompson, the Daily Beast actually ran a thing, right? Daily Beastiality is what Mark Levin calls it, and I absolutely agree with that. But it says, Representative Benny Thompson of Mississippi decided to stand by the controversial racial comments he made over the weekend. In an interview with CNN's Dana Bash, he reiterated his belief that the Supreme Court Justice Terrence Thomas is an Uncle Tom. Like, Benny Thompson, who are you? What? As a, and I'm presuming you're a lawyer. Not sure, but I'm going to presume. But what, what legal opinions have you written that even steps to the quality of something? Anything? I will put anything you've ever written against Clarence Thomas. And we're going to see who the, well, I'm going to talk about who the Uncle Tom really is a little later. But these are your black, these are your black, these are your black leaders. Like your black leaders hate other black people, yet they're going to say, they're going to turn around and say, oh, black, black lives matter. Black voices need to be uplifted, respect and protect the black women. But when you roll out a black conservative, all of a sudden they start foaming at the mouth and smoke starts coming out of their ears and boils start coming up out of their skin. It's it's the weirdest thing you, you will ever see in your life. Anyway, I'm going to take a break. And when I come back, I'm going to talk about the Negro's idol, the 44th president of the United States of America. And I'm going to tie this Uncle Tom thing in. Um, and I'm going to tell you something that nobody, I'm going to tell you something about this 44th president that nobody knew, all right? Because they talk about one guy and they don't look at him. So I'm going to do that. When I come back, take a break, be back. You're listening to ABC on BTR. Hey, let's take a minute and meet Clark Kent, star of Superman. Chief, believe me, you're in for a treat just as soon as Jimmy gets back here. Great Caesar's ghost. What's holding him up? You know I can't work without a good breakfast. Chief, Jimmy's bringing a box of Kellogg's sugar smacks. All the more reason for hurrying. Confounder, that boy knows I like those new sugar smacks. And he knows I do, too. And that's a cinch. Well, here I am. Young man, if you spill those new sugar smacks, you're fired. Golly, Chief, I hadn't opened up the box yet. But I'm going to now. Well... I guess we all agree on sugar smacks. Right. Folks, don't wait. Get Kellogg's new sugar smacks. 
They're better than ever. Puffs of wheat, sugar toasted, and candy sweet. You bet. Just get Kellogg's Sugar Smacks, brand new. A Northwest Mountie, and he's been trailing this desperate character for three years. And I'm tired. Well, it's him or me. He's got an aching head, an upset stomach, and an empty gun. What you need is some Alka-Seltzer. You know what they always say. Yeah, a Mountie always gets his man. Oh, no. I mean about Alka-Seltzer. Relief is just a swallow away. Well. Down, 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 the stomach through. Round, 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 the system too. With Alka-Seltzer, they always say. Relief is just... A swallow away. Bless that relief-giving Alka-Seltzer. For that headache and upset feeling, take Alka-Seltzer. Relief is just a swallow away. Hi, kids. Look at some delicious magic with the extra-good chocolate-flavored syrup, Bosco. Now watch. Take ice cream, spoon on extra-rich, extra-thick, extra-chocolatey, Bosco syrup. There's the best chocolate flavor you ever tasted. More Bosco magic. Cake, ice cream, topped with extra thick, extra chocolatey Bosco syrup. Try it. Bosco also makes milk chocolatey delicious. Tell mom to get Bosco chocolate flavored syrup for you. Sing out. I love Bosco, it's rich in chocolate tea. Chocolate flavored Bosco is mighty good for me. Mama puts it in my milk for extra energy. Bosco gives me iron and sunshine vitamin D. Oh, I love Bosco, that's the drink for me. I'm a spaceman. The moon and sun and all the stars are great big to drop off. Princess. Yes, my lord, it's a party tonight. We'll have to do a pop. All the kids in the neighborhood say to do a pop. The triple good, triple good. And do you know why? Sure. Because one, there's good tasting hard candy outside, and two. There's a delicious center of Tootsie Roll inside. And three, only Tootsie Roll Pops are such fun to eat. That's why they're triple good. And don't forget, Tootsie Roll Pops come in a party pack, too. Ten Pops in assorted flavors. There's a game on the back that's lots of fun to do. All the kids in the neighborhood say Tootsie Roll Pops are triple good. Triple good. You'll love Tootsie Roll Pops. Hi, I'm Mike Wallace with a sensational shortening discovery for better baking and frying. It's Procter & Gamble's Golden Fluffo, the first all-new shortening in 40 years. It's rich. Its color is golden yellow. And what a pie it makes. Richer looking, better tasting, more appetizing. But let's hear what Mrs. Thelma Styra, Indiana State Fair baking champion, had to say about Fluffo. I love Fluffo. It makes such a golden brown pie. Oh, man, that's some apple pie. Well, Mr. Wallace, that's a prettier pie than I ever baked with plain white shortening. And look how flaky it is. This yellow Fluffo is such a short shortening. Makes pie crust so rich. 
Like cooking champions, get richer-looking, better-tasting, more appetizing results in everything you bake or fry. Get Golden Fluffle. Yoo-hoo-hoo. I've got a Swiss cream sandwich for you. Crisp golden cookies and in between an extra thick. It's my pick. Filling of cream. Dessert time. Tea time. Don't miss Swiss. As the man around here, you can quote me on this. Yoo-hoo-hoo, yoo-hoo. It's Swiss cream sandwich for yoo-hoo-hoo, yoo-hoo. And yoo-hoo-hoo, yoo-hoo. A truly different cream sandwich, Swiss cream sandwich, baked by Nabisco. The luscious, creamy fillings in a class by itself. No other like it. And these tempting vanilla cookies are so light, they melt in your mouth. Yoo-hoo-hoo, yoo-hoo. It's Swiss cream sandwich. Oh, yoo-hoo-hoo, yoo-hoo. And yoo-hoo-hoo, yoo-hoo. Swiss cream sandwich. Say, it's time for my favorite dance team, so let's look. of matches and a pack of old gold cigarettes. That's all you need, my friend. And you're enjoying the smoothest, mildest, tastiest cigarette ever created. A treat instead of a treatment. That's old gold cigarettes. Made by tobacco men, not medicine men. To give you the cigarette that treats you better in every way. Because in every way, it's a better cigarette. Good, huh? Yes, for a treat instead of a treatment. Get a pack or get a carton of old gold cigarettes. Right now, this is Dennis James reminding you to keep smoking old gold cigarettes. Thanks. Attention. To help carry on our important work, I want you to join the secret squadron and wear this official badge and have this secret decoder. Following each week's adventure, I'll send an important secret message, and only Secret Squadron members who have decoders can decode them. Also, later I'll tell you the simple rules for joining the Secret Squadron, but you must promise to do as I do. Keep yourself healthy and mentally alert. And drink Ovaltine every day. It's the official drink of the Secret Squadron. We Secret Squadron members know chocolate-flavored Ovaltine helps give us what we need for rocket power. Just as a rocket adds thrust during takeoff, Ovaltine can add the kind of nourishment so important for rocket power. We drink Ovaltine hot for breakfast. Mmm, good too. And cold for lunch and between meal snacks. And hot again at bedtime to help keep us revved up with rocket power. Believe me, Ovaltine's got what it takes to help you be a leader in your gang. So drink instant Ovaltine every day. The Gemini Space Flights. The trips are long. The training is hard, like this spacewalk practice. But the astronauts do some things you do. In space, they drank Tang. They mixed it like this in a zero-G pouch, because with no gravity, it would fly all over. You don't have that problem. You can mix it in a glass. 
Up there, they have to drink it carefully. This way. You can drink it any way you like. Tang tastes orangey. Tastes great. Has lots of vitamins C and A. Tang, chosen for the Gemini astronauts. Have a blast. Have some Tang. This man just showered with a new kind of soap. New Life Boy Mint Refresher. A soap so loaded with mint, so tangy, so frosty, it drives wives wicked. Every bar of New Life Boy Mint Refresher contains the essence of 125 mint leaves. Soap has never smelled this good before, and neither have you. New Life Boy Mint Refresher drives wives wicked. You know what I want to do? I want to get back into this piece, this, this daily bestiality piece. Because no, I think I need to talk about this. I was gonna, I was gonna pass up and go, but no. Let me finish talking about this because it's ridiculous on his face. All right, if Benny Thompson. Now, if anybody, if there's one person, well, no, I'll get into that later. But again, Benny Thompson. If you look at Benny Thompson, you, you read this article. Anybody with half a brain would say that Benny Thompson's a sellout, all right? Just because just because of the fact that A, he's a Democrat, and we all know about the history of the Democrats. I mean it's no secret again, it's no secret. So how any any self respecting black person can turn around and not and be an elected official representing the party of their historical slave masters is ridiculous. How anybody, how any self-respecting black person can vote for people who were their historical slave masters is just ridiculous. But let me get into this article. It says, Rep- Representative Benny Thompson in Mississippi has decided to stand by his own controversial racial comments he made over the weekend. In an interview with CNN's Dana Basho, a white woman, he reiterated his belief that Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas was an Uncle Tom. When Bash asked him if the term was racially charged, good question, Dana. You're not really given to good questions, but it's a good question. Is that term racially charged? Now, the the, the, the commonsensical answer would be yes, right? The answer, of course, if you call, if you call anybody an Uncle Tom, it's racially charged. Now, it's not supposed to be that way. But because Negroes have taken it out of context and they don't know who Uncle Tom is, they say it disparaged. They try to say it disparagingly, and the fact that you're trying to say it disparagingly means it's a racially charged, it's racially charged term. But Dana Bash asked him if if the term was racially charged. Thompson said, "For some it is, but to others it's the truth." Adding that it was permissible to say because I'm black. Now that is the same bullshit logic that causes the Negro to say things that causes the Negro to call other Negroes niggas and stuff, right? They say, oh, nigga this, nigga that, nigga. Well, how can you say that? That that word's been thrown at you by whites historically as racial disparity. Well, that's okay because I'm black. Like, what? Oh, I don't say the N-R. I say N-I-G-G-A. Like, what? It's like, does that even make sense? It's like, it's like it's like you're in Boston, and 
somebody's in, there's a Bostonian about there saying that you have a nice car. But I guess they're not talking about your automobile because they they don't say the R part, right? So they're not talking about your they're not talking about your automobile because they say car and not car. Like, does that make does that really make any sense? So when you have black rappers and black actors and stuff who call each other nigga, and they say, oh, it's okay, I'm black and I don't use the ER, so it's not disparaging. Like what? It's it's such a stupid line of logic. And again, and it goes on to say um, in his interview with the New Nation of Islam, it's another bunch of coons right there, but the New Nation of Islam on Sunday, he also said he believes Senate Republican Mitch, Mitch McConnell mistreated Obama because he was black. I have my problems with Mitch McConnell. But again, when you say Mitch McConnell mistreated Obama because he was black, that's a high burden of, you have a high burden of proof to climb to prove that, prove that claim. But let's talk about Barack Obama, right? Because before the break, I said that I'm going to tell you guys something about Barack Obama that nobody really, that nobody knew. And I know it. Don't know, I'm sure there's, there's a couple other people out there that know it, but the majority of America and, the, and definitely the entirety of black America doesn't know, right? So let's talk about it because I put it in my show notes. And I said, I said, what, what would they call a black person? Right, and I asked that question. You know, if you want to read the question, you got to read it and read it in the show notes. And the first point is the thing that nobody knew. This is a man, this forty, this forty-fourth president of the United States, the one that black people hold as a, they deify this guy. So the black liberal still deifies Barack Obama, and he holds Barack Obama as the pinnacle of what it is to be black, right? The man was a, he was a president, um, a lawyer. He was in the Illinois Senate. He was a U.S. Senator. Um, and he, again, he looked like, he looked like a lot of black people. So they say, hey, he looks like me. He made it to the White House and he's talking about black issues, right? Well, let's see. Because for all of the name calling of Tim, people like Tim Scott, people like Clarence Thomas, people like um, Herschel Walker, Diamond and Silk, the Hodge twins, Officer Tatum, um, Jason Whitlock, and all these other and all these other prominent Black conservatives, right? Oh, and um, Sheriff Clark is the worst, the worst of it. But Sheriff Clark is probably the highest. He's in the top three sheriffs in the nation. I would I'll give I would say that much. But then they lionize they lionize uh, Barack Obama, right? Well, according to CBS, the and and they'll never they'll never step down and call they'll never step out of themselves and call Barack Obama an Uncle Tom or a Coon or a Sambo or anything like that, right? Why? Because that's their boy. He's a leftist just like them. And remember what I said about leftists. Whatever leftists do, they do, they excuse. It doesn't matter how ridiculous or how nonsensical or how, um, um, I forget the word. <laughs> the, the word the word just escaped me. But they they excuse the things that, now somebody please tell me the word, but, you know, they excuse the things that they don't like in other people, that word. So... No matter how how nonsensical it is, they will excuse it. Why? 
it goes back to what I said last week. I said that the left sees the right the way Christians see the devil, and the left see each other, or the left see their leaders, their political leaders, the way the Christians see Jesus. And I said that leftism is a cult because they believe that everything that their own people on the left do is inherently good because they've conflated the ideology with the morality of the issue. And they say that if, and again, go back to my, I'm not going to get into the weeds if you want to hear that, go back to last week's, pod, uh, go back to last week's radio show, let's say podcast, but go back to last week's radio show. Um, and I talk about how leftists see each other as doing the moral good of the, of the entire planet. And they say that if you don't embrace the rights of LBGTQ and trans people, and you don't embrace the rights of women who want to be liberated, and if you don't embrace things like critical race theory and diversity, equity, and inclusion, and all these other Marxist, Marxist things, they say a hypocritical is the word. But if you don't, um, if you don't embrace these Marxist things, then you're evil because the morality is just isn't there without embracing of these things that they say benefit human society. You understand that? So when they see Barack Obama, and they see the fact that Barack Obama is a member of two country clubs, okay? Barack Obama has a house in Martha's Vineyard, which is 95, actually 98% white affluent. Barack Obama, the, the Atlantic has an article that Barack Obama has failed the black community. Why? Because black, blacks refuse, I wouldn't say refuse, but blacks didn't make any progress under the Obama years. Not socially, not economically, nothing, right? They didn't actually start to make progress until Trump took office. But for eight years under Barack Obama, black the black community stagnated, and Barack Obama said nothing about it. As a matter of fact, um, Barack here's here's what the Atlantic has to say about Barack Obama. Born in 1953, I'm the child of waning leaders of legal segregation in the United States. This was written by who was this written by? Oh, William A. Darity Jr. And this is, it's an article as part of a series of responses to Ta-Nehisi Coates' story, My President Was Black. Ta-Nehisi Coates is an ultimate clown, but I'll get into her some point in the future. Um, born in 1953, I'm a child of the waning years of legal segregation in the United States. My parents, on the other hand, spent about 40 years of their lives under Jim Crow in the South, of course, ran by Democrats. All of my grandparents lived most of their lives under American apartheid. Part of times, uh, at the time, Barack Obama's election presidency in 2008, my mother and all four of my grandparents were deceased, but my father was alive and well. And absolutely thrilled to have lived to see the election of a black man as president of the United States. Now, going down further, um, let's say he called him, he called him extraordinarily disciplined, blah, 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 which we know he's not because of the litany of scandals underneath his belt. I mean, we're talking Uranium One, we're talking Solyndra, um, Spygate, Fast and Furious. And this is Spygate, Fast and Furious, Solyndra, Uranium One, and there was another one. It was like five different, five or six different scandals that's plaguing this guy. And I'm going to get into that too in the future because of the whole Joe Biden thing. So keep an eye on that. It goes down and says, leaders who look like you do not necessarily act in ways that benefit you. 
Nevertheless, some of those white voters who did not vote for him took his eight years of president as his license to assert that the country is post-racial, which, again, when you say that the majority of whites, so one of the previous articles said the majority of whites didn't vote for Barack Obama because they're racist. That's garbage, because Barack Obama got probably more votes. He got the most votes in the history of the presidency up to that point. And you can't do that without white people. So to say that the majority of white people didn't vote for him because they're a racist is, is really, really dumb. But the Atlantic, the guy who goes on, and I'm going to I'm going to have to speak this up because I'm running out of time. But um, he goes on to say that Barack Obama, he doesn't, he didn't do anything for blacks. Basically, he got into office and then turned his back on him. Let's go way down to almost the middle and it says, indeed, the history of black wealth and deprivation from the failure to provide ex-slaves with 40 acres and a mule to the violent destruction of black property and white riots, all, all because of Democrats, by the way, um, and the seizure and expropriation of black-owned land to the impact of racially restrictive covenants on home ownership, the discriminatory applications of policy like the GI Bill and the FHA, both, both came under the great progressive Franklin Roosevelt. Just like redlining was Franklin Roosevelt's thing, but he was the great progressive. It's the adequacy feeling about Barack Obama's candidacy from the moment I heard of his 2004 Democratic National Convention speech that lifted him into national prominence, a speech that codes summarizing a profile. Toward the end of the speech, Barack Obama observed that black families in urban centers realize that government can't teach our kids to learn, which is true. Um, that children can't achieve unless we raise their expectation and turn off the television sets and eradicate the slander that says a black youth with a book is acting white. The acting white label, a myth that will not die, argues that low school performance for black students is a cultural, is a product of culturally based black opposition to high academic achievement, which he is absolutely freaking right about that. Because throughout my whole life, because I read books and I speak the way I speak with halfway coherently, I was called a sellout and wanting to be white and stuff by people in my schools. So there you go. The problem is, and this, the the Atlantic story, but go to my show notes and actually read that because it's eye-opening in the fact that Barack Obama really did turn his back on the black community when he got into office, but they still lionized him. But what, but what is it about Barack Obama that people don't know that should absolutely solidify? And I'm gonna I'm gonna leave with this. That should absolutely solidify that this guy would fit the Negro interpretation of Uncle Tom. What is it that people don't know that Barack Obama did? See, everybody talk about Joe Biden being a white supremacist because he eulogized a white supremacist. But nobody knows that Barack Obama himself eulogized Robert Byrd, the noted white supremacist. Barack Obama did that. And I'm gonna read the I'm gonna read the eulogy. July 2nd, 2010, eulogy at the funeral service for Senator Robert C. Byrd in Charleston, West Virginia. It's in my show notes. Go click on it and read this. It says, thank you to Mona and Marjorie and to Senator Byrd's entire family, including those adorable great-granddaughters I had a chance to meet. Michelle and I offer you our deepest sympathies. To Senator Byrd's friends, including Speaker of the House, a majority leader, the Republican leader, President Clinton, Vice President Biden, Vicki Kennedy, Nick Rahal, and the previous speakers, Senator Rockefeller, Rockefeller, 
for the outstanding work that you've done for the state of West Virginia, to his larger family, to the people of West Virginia. I want you all to know that America shares your loss. No, we don't because he's a white supremacist, whatever. May we all find comfort in the in the verse of scripture that reminds me of our dear friend. The time of my departure has come. I fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. That's Jesus. Jesus was not a white supremacist. So to apply um, biblical scripture to white supremacy, Barack Obama did that. It's interesting that you heard passage from several speakers now because in a body, somebody who knew how to run a good long race and somebody who knew how to keep the faith with his state, with his family, with his country and a constitution. Years from now, when I think of the man we memorialize today, I'll remember him and as he was when I came to know him. His white hair full like a mane, his gait steady with a cane. Determined to make the most of every last breath, the distinguished gentleman from West Virginia who could be found at his desk until the very end, doing the people's business, delivering soul-stirring speeches, a hint of the appellations in his voice, stabbing at the air with his finger, fiery as ever, years into his tenth decade. Uh, he was a Senate icon. He was a party leader. He was an elder statesman, and he was my dear. He was my friend. That's how I remember him. Today we remember the path he climbed to such extraordinary peaks. Born Cornelius Calvin Sale Jr. Corny, he joked for short. His mother lost her life in the Great Influenza Pandemic of 1918. From aunt and uncle who raised him amid West Virginia's coal camps, he gained not only his bird names but reverence for God Almighty. A love of learning that was nurtured at Mark Twain School, and he met Irma, his sweetheart for over 70 years, um, who, by his night, who by his side, he will now rest for eternity. Unable to afford college, he did what he could to get by, firing, finding work as a gas station attendant, produce salesman, a meat cutter, and welder in the shipyards of Baltimore, Tampa during World War II. Returning to his home, West Virginia, after the war, he ran for the State House of Delegates uh, using his fiddle case as a briefcase. Uh, to better stand out on the stump. So he's going to, Barack Obama goes into his life. Um, he talks about Ted Kennedy, who's another right, um, being uh, an early rival of Robert Byrd. And Ted Kennedy is another noted, was another noted white supremacist, right? But I, it's amazing. See, at the end of the speech, and you can read the speech, go, go to my what's it called, because I'm seriously out of time. But at the end of the speech, Barack Obama says that Robert Byrd was a mountain eagle and, and his lowest swoop was still higher than the other birds upon the plane. How can you say this? How can you as a black man say this about a white supremacist? And it says, may God bless Robert C. Byrd. May he be welcomed kindly by the righteous judge. May his spirit soar forever like a Catskill eagle high above the heavens. Thank you very much. This is what Barack Obama was saying. This was his eulogy. And it's on, it's on, it's in my show notes. Go and read that. So let me ask you something. The man is a part of two country clubs. He lives in a mansion in a white affluent neighborhood. He ignores the black community to the point where under his presidency, the black community stagnates and he eulogizes a white supremacist. Is he a coon? Is he a Sambo? Is he an Uncle Tom, according to your, according to the Negro narrative? The common sense answer would be yes. But if you ask this Negro, he he idolizes, he deifies, and he lionizes Barack Obama to the point where he's willing to ignore all of that and call the um, 
and call black conservatives the same thing that Barack Obama fixed all of the, he checks all of the boxes for it. Well, that's it. I got to go. Um, I got some things to do and we've come to the end of the show. Next week, um, again, we're going to get into Democrats and inequality. I'll, I'll pull some news from this coming week and we'll talk about it probably in the first part. And that'll be it. And I'm telling you, you can't let these, we can't let the Democrats control this narrative. Because if we do, then, you know, what's it all for? I'm ABC. We'll be back next week. Peace. I'll go out and do the right thing.